Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. You know, it's hard to believe that we're already in the month of March. You know, what an amazing February it was. As you all know, I celebrated my husband's birthday, and my husband and I celebrated 17 years together. And yes, they did exactly what I told you they were going to do. My children did nothing. But hey, that's what teenagers do. Listen, my next guest, I am so, so excited. First of all, um, what an unbelievable book. Um, You know, as you all know, I say this quite often, you can never, ever have enough books to read. And the more books you read, the more you educate yourself on exactly, truly what's happening within our country and what's happening within our world. You know, so many times I think that when we're looking at the news, there's things that are just not covered that we need to be talking about. We need to be making sure that changes are happening. And one of the things that I really have a very, very deep passion about is trafficking trafficking of humans and you know actually just recently i was talking to my friend jen lily and she you know her and i both feel that we've got to do something when it comes to all these different sites that we see this you know only fans and so you know i'm going to get into this but we're really going to find out exactly what is trafficking and what it's all about maggie welcome to fostering change thank you so much rob good morning so, you know, I was absolutely, um, I, I have to tell you, I was I was ignorant in many ways when it comes to trafficking. I actually didn't realize all the different components there are to human trafficking. You know, you have trafficking for people who work, you have trafficking for sex trafficking, you have children who are being trafficked. Can you let our audience know truly what is human trafficking? Sure. So human trafficking is an umbrella term that covers both both labor trafficking and sex trafficking. And the that somebody is making commercial proceeds off somebody else's labor or sex acts. And that somebody else, because they're being forced, they're being coerced, or they're being defrauded in some way. They're doing something against their will, or they're a child, and so they can't legally give consent. Well, you know, um, the statistics show that 80% of all children who are actually trafficked are actually from foster care. Um, and we see those numbers because, once again, where these are, as I always have said, people feel they're disposable children. But what I, what I seem not to understand is, you know, someone who's being trafficked, um, do, you know, why wouldn't they raise their hand more? That's a really good point. So first, just to to dovetail on your comment, um, we see a disproportionate amount of kids um, from the foster care care system, kids who have been failed by child welfare in in different ways, um, who are then more vulnerable to the predatory ways of of sex traffickers, Um, particularly in sex trafficking. You know, people tend to think it's something that happens in other countries Well, it happens right here, too. Um, It can happen to anyone, but a disproportionate uh, number of victims are kids in the foster care system. 
Why aren't these kids raising their hands? That is a really important and complicated question. These kids are conditioned to think that what is happening is normal, or they're too afraid of a predator or a trafficker um, you know, to, to come forward. And we see again and again, even with adult victims, that they face multiple barriers in coming forward. It first starts with not identifying themselves as victims, just not identifying as victims at all. And then even if they do, overcoming the trauma bond and the abuse and the fear in order to come forward. So, you know, the thing that, that, and, and by the way, I get that better than anyone. I, as a kid who grew up in the system and, you know, having parents who were very abusive and, you know, um, it was scary for us, my siblings and I to ever say anything because one, we were scared of them. Number two, we were scared of what would happen. And, you know, we always thought that it would be worse than what we were going through. Um, but, you know, the thing that, that I, I believe is that each and every one of us write a story um, because of something that has affected our hearts. You know, I wrote my memoir because, you know, having my five children and going through the system and seeing how bad our child welfare, what made you decide um, taking down Backpage? What made you decide to write this book? I mean, I think it was a culmination of a lot of experiences throughout my career, but I will say that, and this is kind of where the book starts out, but as a young prosecutor, I remember one day in court doing arraignments um, for girls that were charged with prostitution. And they were, they were technically adults. They were, you know, 18, 19, 23. Um, but I remember just seeing them and thinking, you know, how, how their lives had turned this way. Um, most of them were, were homeless. They didn't have addresses even listed on their booking information. Some of them didn't have IDs. Um, none of them really had any property. There were some of them didn't have emergency contacts. And I just thought, you know, what led these people to this brutal place? And, you know, where have we as a society, you know, failed so badly? Um, and that really became kind of a, a moment for me in my career and an inflection point as I continued to be a prosecutor and, um, you know, served as a deputy DA and then a deputy attorney general and then a supervising deputy attorney general. I was really driven to you know, get our criminal justice system to do a better job really identifying and supporting survivors, you know, certainly not criminalizing them, but going after the systems that enabled this type of abuse. And that's where I got to that page, which at the time, you know, was the biggest website in the world for trafficking children. I hear this quite often, you know, I live right outside the DC area and we know that, you know, prostitution is one of the oldest women were earning money and I hear so many people talk about it should be legalized and and but after reading your book um I'm not going to say that I thought one way or the other I will tell you now there is no way in hell it should be legalized because I truly do believe that by legalizing prostitution is actually giving a free pass to those who are being sex trafficked do you feel like, I mean, is that what you're seeing more? Because, I mean, by the way, I mean, we're, we're seeing it all over the country. We're state after state after state wants to legalize prostitution. Yeah, I think it's really concerning. Um, I mean, if we were starting from scratch I and mean, everybody was equal and everybody was born with equal opportunities, you know, maybe we could have some ideal situation where it could be okay. But the problem is we're not. I mean, we have what you described as these children who are, I think you use the term disposable children. I mean, with sex trafficking, this is like a purchasable class of people. We're basically saying 
that people, and, and if you look at who's out there, I mean, if you go to any track throughout the country, um, the people out there aren't really choosing freely to do this. They're in these dire circumstances. They might not have you know, a window at them. Oftentimes they do. Um, but even those who don't, I mean, they're coming from very desperate situations. They have already survived a lot of times sexual abuse in the home. Um, many of them were runaways. Many of them, like you said, you know, many of them are basically just doing whatever they can to survive. And so to kind of look at that and, and you know, really get to know these people and say, they're choosing this profession and this is a good way to make money. It's just really doesn't comport with you know, the reality going out there on the streets. So why do we see so many? And just like we have this issue in foster care, we call them the boomerang kids. Those are kids whose parents, um, they're constantly in and out of the system. Why do we also see that same exact thing when it comes to a lot of the adults who are being sex trafficked, that they're, they're, they're coming in and coming back out and they're coming in. And, and I read a statistic that, um, and I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was, I was rather alarmed by the number of people that, you know, have done so well to get out of it, but then they turn around and go back to it. I mean, I've definitely seen how it can be a cycle and, you know, it takes multiple times, multiple interventions for people to get out. But I have, I've also, you know, I, I mean, it has been such an honor throughout my career to work with really amazing resilience who have, you know, changed how we look at this entire thing um, because they've gotten out and because of their leadership. So, you know, they are, they are the inspiration and, and the, the truth that it can be done. But I think it's really hard. I mean, there's all these other factors that play into this. It is, it is hard to survive out there. I mean, in California, we're in a total housing crisis. I mean, people can't afford rent and, you know, people don't, you know, don't have enough, you know, money to put food on their table. And so, you know, looking at that and you know that there's this, you know, way to make a buck out there that you've been conditioned, you know, to, to think is okay that you've done again and again, I think it's easy for people to slide back into it. Um, there's also other underlying issues. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of substance abuse, um, you know, with that, that overlaps. Um, and then there is, you know, the trauma bonds, there's, you know, women who have these relationships with their traffickers and they were, you know, they would use boyfriend or, or something else, um, but they keep going back. And it's sort of like the dynamics of getting out of an abusive relationship. Right, right. You know, the thing is, is that I, I think that shining light on this to make people realize that these are human. And I feel that we as a community, once again, have failed. Um, number one, we do not pay a living wage, okay? Um, not being able to pay a living wage for someone not to be able to support themselves automatically sends people back into that type of lifestyle. Number two, you talk about affordable housing. We don't have affordable housing anywhere. And those places that we do, we would not even allow our pets to live in those areas. So we as a society, as a community, have truly forgotten why our communities were built. Listen, everyone, we're going to take a quick break again. Um, taking down back page. Now, I've got some amazing questions I want to ask about this because um, this had to be scary. And I'm going to tell you, this had to be scary. So listen, we'll be right back. Comfort Cases is now partnered with Clean the World, an amazing organization dedicated to water, sanitation, and hygiene. Clean the World operates recycling centers across the world. Hong Kong, the Netherlands, Las Vegas, Orlando, 
and including our nation's capital. They are leading a global hygiene revolution. They are distributing recycled soap and hygiene products from more than 8,000 travel and hospitality partners. Clean the World has made the decision to donate hygiene products to comfort cases so we can place them in our cases. These products are so important to our youth that are entering foster care. You know, having their own brand new hygiene product really means a lot to them. These donations will truly give these kids an amazing feeling of self-worth. I want to thank you so much, Clean the World. And for more information on how you can donate, please visit their website at cleantheworld.org. You know, I absolutely love every single Tuesday um, when I get to have what we're doing right now, which is conversations um, and conversations about things that most of the time we do not talk about them at the water cooler. You know, I always talk about my friend Jennifer Perry, who is on Foster Moore, where she did this whole media campaign about talking about things at the water cooler that make you a little uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, for her, it was about foster care. Um, but for me, I think that we can really, there's a lot that we can educate ourselves. You know, Maggie, um, in your book, Taking Down Backpage, um, let's, let's really talk about the fact that we know the amount of money that is made by these sites. You know, I first heard about this OnlyFans page. Um, I was shocked to see that people are making thousands and thousands of dollars a day on these, these, you know, to me, it's pornographic sites, no matter how you want to look at it, you know. And then the other thing that really kind of worried me as a father, um, my kids are, you know, they're teenagers. And, you know, I've tried everything I can, and so has my husband, to lock their phones down on any site. But you know that these kids are smart. Um, and, and I worry about them getting on these sites. And by the way, I want you to know, I'm not a prude. Um, but I do believe that there is a way um, that we go about talking to children about things that are certain happen. So when you started this book and you're really digging into it, um, I'd love to know exactly, you know, wasn't it a little scary? Definitely. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll say, Rob, I'm a mom. Also, I have two teenagers. Um, I'm freaked out by their phones and whatever's on them. So my heart goes out to all the other parents that are you know, watching or listening to this, I think as parents, you know, we're all vulnerable and our kids are always going to be a step ahead of us, um, you know, on the technology that they all, you know, grew up with that, that we're just sort of kind of clamoring to, to understand. So that is a fact um, that, that we need to confront. And I really think it's building trust, building healthy relationships, talking to your kids about healthy relationships, making sure that your kids know that even if they can't trust, even if they don't want to talk to you, that there's some other adult that they can trust that they can go to. But in terms of your question and, and, and the case, um, sure, sure. It was scary. I mean, there were times where I felt like, you know, I was really going against the, the legal grain. Um, you know, I, I knew that it was going to be a big battle. Um, I didn't know how the world would react. Um, you know, at the time there was just a big effort to legitimize back page, um, you know, the tide kind of turned, luckily, I think it's turned, you know, it's certainly the legal landscape has, has changed a little bit, um, you know, with amendments, to the Communications Decency Act that allow for the prosecution of sex trafficking, um, particularly in website cases, 
But I also think there's been a cultural shift. Um, you know, and back when I charged this case in 2016, you know, that was before the Me Too movement. Um, you know, it was before a lot of the high profile sex trafficking cases really came to light. I mean, just over the past year or so, we've had, you know, the prosecution of um, Maxwell, the, the partner of Epstein. We've had the prosecution of R. Kelly. And we've had the prosecution of Harvey Weinstein. We've had several high profile sex abuse prosecutions. And I think that helps shift the culture, um, you know, that we become less tolerant as a society and um, that, you know, more, more survivors feel comfortable coming forward and sharing their stories. And um, as a society, we say no more, that this isn't okay, that it doesn't matter how powerful someone is, they can't do this to someone else. You know, that shift has, has kind of, um, you know, shed a light and been helpful. Um, but that, that didn't later. So in 2016, you know, I was kind of on my own island there going out on a limb against this, you know, huge website. Yeah, I mean, that that alone right there being by yourself and, and you know, going against something, as I said, I can't imagine that the, um, you, you didn't have the, the best people in the world backing those sites. And so knowing the money that they were making, knowing that someone was going to come in and possibly shut them down, um, definitely would be a scary moment. You've done a lot. You, you, you know, you, you opened up a, a Pandora's box and in so many ways. Um, but I think that one thing that I, I got from all of this is, you know, and I say this quite often, you've given people the opportunity to tell their story and not to feel ashamed. Um, and that is something I think that we as a society, as you said, you know, in 2016, yes, all of a sudden we're seeing all this, you know, every, you know, this person's being charged, but, but I really think that it's given the opportunity for people to stand up and say, you know, yeah, this happened to me and this wasn't my fault, you know, and I'm not a bad person because, you know, someone took advantage of me during a time in my life that instead what I needed was someone to pick them, to pick me up and you know and with that you actually work with a lot of nonprofits. so i want to know exactly what you're doing i mean you're taking this and now you're working with nonprofits. what are you doing with them yeah i mean a hundred percent rob i feel like the message that we sent with shutting down that site was that hey this isn't okay and you know the response that i've gotten from the, the survivor community has been really really incredible i mean i get um you know messages on twitter and other, you know, just little things on social media. I had a book signing last week and a couple of people came by and, you know, they weren't women I knew. And they were like, we were, you know, basically they said that they were sold on the website and they didn't realize they were victims at the time and, and just thanked me. And, you know, that's incredibly meaningful um, to me that we were able to send this message. Um, so those are the voices that I want to amplify. I mean, I hope that my book gives voice to people that um, have survived, you know, that have survived these horrific experiences and are now doing other things with their lives um, that they won't ever be, you know, defined by the worst moments of their lives, but that they will, you know, they will use their power um, and use their voices. So, you know, the fact that I can use this book to uplift other people um, is really meaningful to me. One of the organizations I've been working with is uh, Three Strands Global Foundation. It's a nationwide nonprofit, but it's based here in California, and they do human trafficking prevention um, as one of their main tenants. So there's like a curriculum that they've developed 
Um, it's actually going to be rolled out uh, for foster families, um, but it's already you know, active in school districts across the country. And it basically gives kids the tools to protect themselves and protect each other from human trafficking. It's kind of some of the stuff we were talking about, about online awareness, um, you know, and, and self-worth and self-value and all of that folded in. So I think that's really important. Um, you know, so that's certainly one of the I love that idea, by the way. I truly do love that because one of the things that, that I don't think that we talk enough about is about foster care. And so to be able to go into a school and start helping people um, and really educate them. You know, we just had a case not long ago in the D.C. area where there was a family who was um, trafficking um, three women um, and it was all for work. Um, you know, and these women were brought over here under false pretense and, you know, they they were sheltered in these homes and, and you know, basically bounded and and not to leave. Do you do you, you know, I, I love the fact that you're doing something to educate people and to to let them. What would you say the signs are, though, that we as humans, as we go through our everyday life that we should be looking for? That's a great question. Um, you know, people talk about human trafficking being hidden in plain sight. I mean, I think with sex trafficking, it's a little bit it's a little bit easier because the you know the industry is illegal in the first place. I think with labor trafficking, I mean, it can happen. You know, in in, in restaurants, it can happen in nail salons. It can happen in you know businesses that are considered you know mainstream. We've certainly seen, and I've prosecuted cases that have happened out of um, you know illicit. Mis- massage establishments. Um, so that's why I think training is so important. I mean, there's certain industries that are most likely to interface with human trafficking victims, um, and they can really be prepared to look for signs. So like transportation workers, and you have truckers against trafficking, that's, you know, training truckers throughout the country, um, you know, what to look for, truck stops, that sort of thing. There's also um, healthcare workers, of course, um, you know, there's a study that 80% of uh, sex trafficking survivors um, go visit a, a health clinic or an emergency room at some point while they're being trafficked. So that's a tremendous opportunity for you know healthcare workers to be able to flag that. Um, so what I say, so in terms of science, I mean, I kind of feel that this is like industry specific, but um, you know, for healthcare, you know, signs of fatigue. Um, if somebody shows up with a third party who seems overly controlling, um, you know, lack of eye contact, certain kinds of tattoos, um, certain kinds of markings, um, you know, signs of physical abuse, those are things. Um, you know, at a at a at a nail salon, you know, is there a back room? Is this a situation where employees are sleeping on site? Um, do people look like they don't have control over their over their you know over their wages? Um, you know, whether documents are being withheld. I mean, that's not something you would necessarily know walking down the street, but um, it is something, you know, with a, a little bit of kind of curiosity um, and a little bit of investigation. And then there's also a 1-800 number for the human trafficking hotline. So, you know, anytime, um, you know, you suspect human trafficking, you can text, be free, um, you can be connected with local service providers and also with law enforcement. Perfect. I love that. I absolutely love that. Listen, everybody, the book is taking down back. 
Um, we're going to make sure that it's available. Um, we will, um, you know, when this airs, you all will be able to go on and purchase this book. Um, you know what? Read it um, and educate yourself and look at the signs. Um, but also understand the thing that I will have to tell you. And I actually spoke to someone yesterday um, who was part of, you know, being human traffic. And Maggie, what she said to me, she didn't want to be a victim. And instead, she, you know, really wanted to know her. She wanted her kids to know for what she went through as a young girl is that she didn't want to be a victim. And I absolutely love that about her. And I know she's listening and watching. And I just wanted to let her know how much I love her because um, I'm proud of her for speaking up as well. Listen, again, another great episode of Fostering Change. And I hope each and every one of you got as much out of this as I did. And I cannot wait for us to come together again next Tuesday. Take care, everybody. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.